relationship with him. Now, of course, all of us who've been alive for more than five minutes, especially those who've been married, understand that relationship requires lots of things, energy, sometimes money. You've got to buy that engagement ring, guys. You know what I'm saying? Flowers. But relationship also requires time. Time is essential for relation. That isn't just true for our interpersonal human relationships, but it's also true for our relationship with God. A daily devotional with God is essentially quality time. And again, those of you who've been married a while, you know the power and the importance of quality time. There's a difference between being physically in proximity with someone, i.e. both of you sitting on either end of the couch scrolling through your social media accounts, and being connected intimately, right? So there's times where, yeah, you just need to be present with each other, but there's also times for the relationship to flourish that we got to be connected in a quality kind of way. Well, God is no different. God invented relationship. He created it, and he created us to be in relationship with him in the same way that we want to be in relationship with friends and loved ones. And of course, just like on, on the human level, on the horizontal level, it's important for us to be able to communicate with one another, to have good quality time in an interpersonal way. We need to have communication. And a daily devotional is about communication and connection with God. That if we're going to foster connection, if we're going to foster and grow and develop a relationship with God, that that connection requires communication. Now, look... I'll be the first with my hand in the air and say, I suck at this, okay? I'm pretty sure my wife is right there, uh, and so she can verify all this. But uh, when it comes to the proactive quality time communication necessary to have a good, healthy, flourishing relationship, uh, that is not my strong suit, okay? I'm happy just being, anyone with me? Just being in the house, being in the country. I'm kind of in the world, you know, we're, we're together, right? But, but I've learned through time and many, many, many years of marriage that that may be okay for a while, but there comes a time that if we're going to break through into something more meaningful, something deeper, something more authentic, something real, that it requires quality time, requires communication. And I want you to know, if you're not a Christ follower, this is what it means to be in relationship with God. It's not, it's not adherence to rules. It's not attending church. It's not knowing scripture passages from memory. It's not being able to quote them or singing Christian songs. It's about being in relationship with the creator of the universe, which of course is a mind-blowing concept, which should challenge us. Why? This is where attention is, because if most of us or some of us struggle with interpersonal communication with each other in real life, how much more are we going to struggle in our communication and connection with God, right? So we need help. We need, specifically, we need tools. And I thank God for technology. There's a lot of reasons and what ways technology can hinder us and can harm us and we got to understand those things, have boundaries, especially with our kids, not having unfettered access to technology. But you know, in a good way, it's, it's good to be able to text someone, amen? It's good to be able to, to send an email. It's good to be able to send an inbox, a, a DM someone's inbox. It's good to be able to keep up to date with people through Instagram. Like, it's amazing to me how you can be thousands of miles away from someone, but just seeing their daily life and... And if you're one of those people that post food and stuff, I don't follow you, so I don't really know what you're doing. But for those of you who post meaningful things, like your kids and whatever else, like it's good to be able to be connected to each other 
in that kind of way. And so we need tools. And when we think about secret sauce, you know, my son uh, is trying to raise funds for uh, youth camp later on this summer. And so today at the picnic, our youth team are going to be selling beverages and sweets to you to fundraise for their camp. So give them all your money, please. And last night he attempted to make banana bread, didn't work, but he did succeed in making cookies. Okay. And, uh, and so my son, he, hard to believe, 15, made these cookies. And this morning he showed them to me with such pride. Like, look, look, look what I made. And they're really impressive, but there's like eight of them. And I'm like, son, i got to talk to you about business. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you want to make some money, you're going to have more than eight cookies. And he goes, yeah, but the, there was loads of batter. So I said, you should have cut those batter pieces into small fingers and invented a new product called cookie fingers. I didn't charge twice as much because they're gourmet. Right? And, and so when I got home last night, I walk in the kitchen, there's all this stuff. There's pots and pans because he is a 14 or 15-year-old boy, guys, okay? So there's stuff everywhere. And, and what's, what's amazing to me, and maybe it's just a total guy thing, I don't know, but like in my kitchen, because my, my wife loves to bake, particularly cooking, I, 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 I can cook, okay? So I, gotta, I understand what a knife is, okay? I can do that. But like there's so many utensils that come with baking. And sometimes I'll be like putting stuff away from the dishwasher. Come on, guys, you with me? And I go... I don't even know what this is, let alone where it goes. And my wife has a very predictable answer. She'll say, do you not live in this house also? I have lived in this house as long as you. I still have no clue what this does or where it goes. So when my wife is baking and there's all these utensils, it's very confusing to me because I spend more time trying to find the right place. Come on, guys. Because there's a right place, ladies. There's a... There's a right place, and there's a wrong place. For me, it's a way, it's sufficient. It's, it's now away somewhere. It's hidden. You can't see it. It's put away. But, but, you know, there's a right place for each utensil. And so I don't understand how, how all these things work. I don't know where they go. But I am smart enough to realize that keeping them in the house and having them in the disposal of a qualified person produces good things. How many like cake? How many like cookies? How many like that homemade sourdough bread? My wife makes the best sourdough bread in the world. During lockdown, she had an online course. I didn't even know you could do this. She had an online course of how to do sourdough bread. So I see the benefit of these things, even though I don't fully understand them. The truth is this. We need utensils in our Christian life. You know, if you're going to grow in your faith, if you're going to grow in your relationship with God, we need tools to help us foster and grow that relationship. And, and here's the thing for you, if you're here, you're not a Christ follower or you're new to church. For so long, we thought that those tools were, were, were weapons of fear, right, and, and, and shame and judgmentalism. And, and we think of utensils, we, 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 we swap with that word and we come from a background that's not Christian. We think, hey, it's rules, it's regulations, but hey, rules and regulations in that sense don't produce nice things. Utensils produce good things. And we need utensils in our relationship with God to grow and foster a connection with Him so that we can live with this sense of daily power, this secret sauce that's available to all. So the question we're asking in part two is simply this. What are then the utensils needed for us to communicate with God and to have a connection 
with him. Now, I'm going to give you three, and these are by no means exhaustive. These are by no means definitive. But they're three of the main, most obvious, it's not going to be a surprise for anyone, three of the main tools that we use to be in relationship with God. And if you're new to church and you've wondered why we do things like pray and why we read the Bible and why we do things like worship, I'm going to, this is going to be like a sneak peek behind the curtain to see the why behind our what. So the first one is this. The first one is worship. The first tool that we can use to grow and foster our relationship with God is we use Worship. Now, what is, what is worship? Well, the English dictionary defines worship as being or to show a profound devotion and respect to adore or venerate God. So, so, you know, in a relationship, any relationship, a friendship, a work relationship, a colleague or a spouse, it's a good thing to give people uh, honest and appropriate compliments. Right? Did I tell you you all look great today? I can't see any of you. But by faith, you all look so great today. You know, we all, we all need to be complimented. Complimenting each other is a good thing when it's appropriate and measured and, of course, authentic. Because there's nothing worse than a facetious compliment. But, you know, we need to be, to be reminded that, you know what? You are a good person. And you are wor- you know, worth something. And people do care for you. And you are good at things. And you are intelligent in your own way. And we, we need to be commented in the same way as complimentation as as being generous in our words with each other draws us closer together by acknowledging who God is in worship we draw close to him worship is simply acknowledging who God is it's 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 adoration because that's what he deserves it's devotion because we understand and again it's so hard when we're when, again if you're here you're not a Christian and you don't have that perspective of God God is like some you know you, you know some genie in a bottle or he's some kind of out there figure like the old guy in like Wizard of Oz working behind the curtains, working the levees, trying to scare everyone. Like it's very hard to adore and respect and to be devoted to someone who you have an incorrect perspective on. Now, King David, who some of us who, who raised in church will know this character, King David, he was the guy that defeated the giant called Goliath. He wrote, he was on the, he was on the main contributors in a book in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament called the book of Psalms, okay? The Americans call it Psalms, we call it Psalms, okay? And in Psalm chapter 63 and verse 3 and 4, here's what King David said as he expressed worship to God. He said, because your love is better than life. Like what a statement, like, so many of us are looking for love in our lives. So much of the pursuit of the world that we live in is trying to find love in my life. If I just had more love, I could just find love, 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 love. And David's like, forget love in your life. I found a love that is better than your life. I mean, in sickness and in health, death, whatever, whatever you're going to, this love is so real and so powerful and so everlasting, it's better than life itself. And David's response to experiencing this kind of love was, my lips will glorify you. It's just natural when you receive a nice, if someone compliments you or someone gives you something generous, a gift or a prize, it's just natural for us to go, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your kind words. I really appreciate this gift. It's just natural for us to respond to that kind of generosity. Well, when you understand the power of God's love and what Jesus has done for us on the cross and making that love possible, and when you don't just understand that cerebrally or intellectually, but experience it in your heart for yourself, as that love becomes a reality, the natural response is, thank you, God. 
Because here's the truth. I know me. You know you. We know that when we're given this kind of undeserving love, we did a whole series on it last month, I'm experiencing this unconditional love. We know we don't deserve it. We know we haven't earned it. And so the only natural response is to glorify him. That's why he says in verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, here's the interesting one, I will lift up my hands. Now I'm sure at some point in your walk, if you're a Christ follower, and definitely if you're not a Christ follower, you've asked the question, why do Christians lift their hands in worship? Right? Why do we do this? It's very strange. I mean, have you ever thought of the fact that when you invite your friend who's not a believer, not a Christ follower, they eventually say yes to come to church, maybe you're here today, and they walk into a room of grown people singing to words on a screen with their hands in the air. How, how weird is that? Right? And, and I get this. But then again, you watched like last night. How many, how many of you watching the Irish game last night? I mean, when that first goal went in, it was like, we scored a goal. I don't believe it. What do we do? We don't really do that in Ireland. We, and then we scored two. And then we scored three. And it's like, I don't even know how to respond. And Scotland scored one. And then we won the game. There were grown men, like big dudes with tattoos and beards, crying. Their hands were in the air. Ireland! Ireland! Oh my God. They were hugging. They were kissing. They were jumping. They were cheering. They were singing. I mean, can you imagine if you came from a part of the world that never experienced soccer and your friend says, hey, come with me to this cool thing and you're standing in the stadium watching 60,000 grown men and women cry and lift their hands and sing. You'd be thinking, what pill did they take that I missed on the way in? Like, what the heck is happening, right? It seems so unnatural until you get it. See, everything looks weird when it's removed from its context. But when you've experienced a love that is better than life, when you've experienced a Savior who calls you, who redeems you, who frees you, who gives you strength, who gives you a purpose, who gives you a place, who provides you with family, who puts you in community, who says you're not useless and you're not worthless and you will count for something. It's almost like the only natural response to the heart is to say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so it may look weird to you, but when you get it, not only will you understand it, but eventually you might find yourself doing it. Worship in English comes from the word worship. It's the idea that we ascribe or we acknowledge or we add value to something. In other words, the reason why we worship is because God is worth it. And again, you can't worship what you don't see worth in. This is not a condemnatory thing. You, we don't, I don't expect someone who's not a believer, who has no relationship with God, to see the value in God. Why would you? But when you do, the natural response is to go, no, God, you're worth it. And it's not just a song. I mean, I'm, I'm going to use that in this context, but it's not just singing. Worship is a lifestyle. Like, and again, this, 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 this sub, the subject matter of worship could be a whole series, okay? So I can't, it can only go so far. But worship is a lifestyle. We worship God not just with our words and our lips, but we worship God with our lives. Worship is acknowledgement of who God is and anti- anticipation for what God will do. So that's why we sing. We sing, we sing in faith. We, we acknowledge who God is on one hand, but then we also anticipate what God can do. Because when we lift God up in our lives, we acknowledge his power. You know, he's unlimited. He's eternal. He's good. He's gracious. All of a sudden, things like, you know, my challenges, my battles, my struggles, he can speak to those things. And he can address those things. 
And he has a power in him of, that goes beyond, transcends doctors and science and medicine, a supernatural power that's available for those who put our trust in him. So worship is an acknowledgement and an anticipation that God is and that God will do. Of course, it's more than a song. God is more than a song. His worth, his value is more than a song. But we can make it a song. We can make it our song. And the reason why we sing corporately on Sunday uh, is because we want to express in a very finite way, three, four minutes, with a song, a little bit of how we feel when it comes to God. One of the most famous Christian songwriters and artists is a guy called Chris Tomlin. And he said this, he said, Worship is where God isn't moved by the quality of your voice. Thank God. Anybody else with me? But the condition of our heart. And what is that condition? It's a, it's a posture. It's a posture of acknowledgement that I realize that you are God and I am not. And the more you begin to fathom and comprehend just how great and how good and how gracious and how amazing God is, the more, the more you're just moved to respond to that. So the first way that we foster our relationship with God, with God is we develop our own way of worshiping. Of course, with our lifestyle, but also from our lips. The second thing then, very simply, again, no surprise here, is of course prayer. Prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a traditional church, and prayer was like this, you know, this holy, devout thing that we did. There was words you had to know. There was a way of praying, and if you didn't pray properly, people looked at you funny, and, and it was kind of reserved for when you're in church, and no one really prayed outside church. And if you did pray outside church, again, it was just repeating certain words over and over and over again. But when we look at the English definition, it's not even like a biblical definition, but the English definition for prayer is a personal communication. This is how the English dictionary defines prayer. Prayer is not religious rote Prayer is a personal communication or petition addressed to a deity, i.e. God, especially in the form of supplication, adoration, praise, contrition, and thanksgiving. So supplication means to ask for something. Contrition means to, to humble ourselves before someone and, of course, uh, give thanks. So prayer is personal communication. Now, here's what prayer is not. Prayer is not a wish list. How many right now have got a basket full in some store of a wish list? Whether it be Amazon, come on, or one of your favorite clothing shops. I know you, you're, you're in that thing where you're shopping, you go, oh, I like this, I like that, I like the other. You get to the end, you go, oh, I can't afford that. That'll cost me the whole house. Some of you have pressed buy anyway. That's probably why you're here, okay? The point is, prayer isn't just some like proverbial wish list where we hope for the best. I mean, as Irish people, we, we, we're masters of this. We just, we just hope for the best, you know, so like, how, what, are you, what are you feeling about this? Asher, ah, sure, look, it'll be grand. What does that even mean? It'll be grand. I don't know. I'm just hoping it'll work out somehow. But you've done nothing to prepare for it. I know. And you're not ready. I know. And it's probably not going to work. I know. But sure, look, it'll be grand. I mean, it's, it's our cop-out. And, and, and some of us have come from a background where, where prayer is, is not, it's not, it's not a dialogue. It's like, it's like tossing up requests. Like it's, it's like talking to your favorite DJ. Like, play my favorite song. Woo! And maybe if you're lucky, it'll be picked. It's like God is some kind of spiritual vending machine that we go to our time of need and try withdraw our, whatever we need at that time. But the truth is, prayer is so much more than just asking God for stuff. And again, if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, that's, okay, that's, okay, that's an okay place to start. A good place to start a conversation is anywhere when it comes to God. 
But if you're here and you've been a Christ follower for a while, we have to understand that prayer is more than just asking God for stuff. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 5 and verse 6, he's speaking in context. This is the, what scholars would call the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's taken from a, a big, long talk Jesus did. and talked about like fasting and prayer and forgiveness and murder. It's, it's pretty powerful. You should look at it if you've got time. But here specifically in this, in this part of it, he talks about prayer. He says in verse 5, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, which I, th- which I think is interesting. Like when I first came to faith, I was like, hang on. But in my mind, you are the hypocrites, right? Because in my mind, the church, they were hypocrites. Like Christian people, they're the ones who, you know, preach this whole thing and live this other thing. And yet here I find Jesus saying, no, no, no. <clears throat> Those people are people who act like, but aren't of substance, Christian. Because by definition, to be a Christ follower means you're following Christ. You've got to be born a Christian. You can't be raised a Christian. You, you, your status on your census cert isn't Christian. Christian is an active verb. You're actively following. Like, you can't be on the way to the shop right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you're sitting right here. Like, you're here. You're not on the way. You're here. And the same way, being a Christ follower means we're actively following Jesus. And so Jesus said, hey, people who think that, in, that calling themselves something are because they were born a certain way, those who are living a dualistic lifestyle, on the one hand, they say they are something, but on the other hand, their life speaks a different message. He says, don't be like them in general, but don't be like them in how they pray. Well, how they pray. It says they love to pray standing in a synagogue. A synagogue is like a Jewish church. And on the street corners, to be seen by others. The purpose of their prayer is for the affirmation of man. They want to be seen. They want to be affirmed. They want to be uh, respected and acknowledged. But he says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, the affirmation from their, from their external kind of show of prayer is all they're going to get because it's not real prayer. But he says, but when you pray, when you, and this is Jesus speaking to you specifically, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, again, we could do a whole series in prayer. What Jesus is not saying is there's no place where we should ever pray in public. It's not about praying in public or private. It's about the motive. The motive. And how many of you know it's not fun to have your dirty washing, right, air to dry in public? You know what I'm saying? You don't want someone you trust having a very personal conversation with you in a place everyone can hear you. We don't want people on social media knowing our deepest, darkest things. Like, there's a sense in where when we're intimately and connected in relationship with someone, there's a trusting that when we talk, we, there's different levels. There's like, there's like a, a in-the-garden conversation. There's in-the-hallway conversations. There's in-the-living-room conversations, in-the-kitchen. And there's in-the-bedroom conversations. And every level, every room is a metaphor for a different level of intimacy. And what Jesus is saying is that, yeah, you can have a garden conversation with God, thank you, Lord, for today, and praying publicly. You, know, you can have different levels. But the, but the heart of prayer, the motive of prayer, isn't to be seen by people but to be heard by God. And there's certain things that you can only say to God, let's be honest, when you're alone in your house, in a room, and no one can hear you. Where you say things from deep within you that only God can hear. And very often, only God can handle. Because here's the beauty. His love is better than life. Nothing you can say to God will offend Him, or upset Him, or surprise Him to the point where 
he's going to reject you or kick you out. God is big enough and he's God enough to be able to handle whatever it is that we need to get off our chest and say to him, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. And the same way that we have these, these intimate conversations with each other, God wants, to, God wants us to be in intimate conversation with him. And in a sense, when we pray in a daily devotional sense, what we're doing is prayer is more just a conversation. Prayer is an invitation. Again, I mean, sometimes when I'm, when I'm saying to my wife, hey, I'm going to go here and do this, she'll say, is that information or an invitation? You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I'm going to go to the, with the guys. We're going to go to the pub and have a pint. He's like, are you telling me or are you inviting me? I don't really know what's going on here. It's like, oh, yeah. Like, hey, babe, we've been invited to go to the pub. And have, would you like to come with me? It's like, that's better. And she's right. Because, because there's a difference between telling someone something and inviting someone to be part of something. And when we pray on a daily basis, we pray whether it be in the middle of work or in the middle of our leaving cert right now, those of you, you know, leaving cert students, junior cert students, whenever we pray, we're inviting God into our lives. We're saying, God, I actually want you to be part of whatever it is I'm going to. And when we do it in a consistent way, we do it in a daily way, it's an invitation for God to be part of our daily lives. And I don't know what you believe, what you don't believe, but let me tell you something. The idea that the creator of the world could walk through life with us on a daily, in a daily basis and help encourage and support us. That's something I think we all want. That's something that I definitely believe we all need. It was James K. Smith, a theologian, who said, Prayer is how we press our hands into the invisible and find the hand of Christ reaching back to us. You know, God is only ever, as a cliche goes, a prayer away. That's how close he is. The scripture says he's as close as the next breath. Like we don't need to go through some kind of process or be made clean or made right to pray. You can pray the way you are. You can pray who you are. You can pray wherever you are. And God will answer that prayer. So we foster and we develop a relationship with God through worship, through prayer, and third and finally, through his word. And again, this is probably the most controversial of the three. Because, let's be honest, especially in Ireland, it's like, yeah, singing songs to God, that's harmless. Praying prayers, sure, who doesn't love a good prayer? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll take all the chances I can get. Pray for me, of course. But then we talk about the Bible, Scripture, God's Word, Old and New Testament. That's where it gets funky, right? That's where we kind of go, oh, I don't know now. Because the Bible's full of stuff, right? And what do we do with that? And, of course, there's major pushbacks when it comes to God's Word. And there's three in particular. There's a major pushback of authorship. Like, I don't really know if we can trust who wrote this. There's the major pushback of accuracy. I mean, is it really, you know, can you really be trustworthy? And, of course, authenticity. So many believe that the, that the Bible is like a, a fairy tale book. It's like something you read your kids before bed. It's wonderful and pleasant, full of good stories, makes you feel good. But essentially, it's completely fictional. And so what we find in our modern world, whenever we talk about the Bible, is all these modern questions about, like, you know, about like the substance and, and, the, and the authenticity of Scripture. People ask, well, is it historically legitimate? Hasn't the Bible changed our history? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? Wasn't the Bible written by people who wanted power? Doesn't the Bible have loads of outdated moral teachings? And again, there's so much in this that I wish I would have time 
just today talk about just these pushbacks, but we do do a series here called Apologetic, and every year we talk about this, and you can go back online and have a look at that message. The point is this, when you look at the Bible as a book, just for a second, just as, as, a, as a historical book, okay, forget the Word of God part, it's just a book. Most theologians, most scholars, most historians would say the Bible isn't just one of the most historically accurate books in the world, it is probably the most historically accurate book in the world from a historicity point of view, from a sense of like being able to date and, 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 and pin down who wrote it, where and when. Like, and in terms of contradictions, there's almost none. Like the Bible is one of the most trusted pieces of literature ever to be made in all of human history. It was uh, theologian Mark Clark who said this. He said, historians tell us the Bible is actually one of the most, if not the most, reliable and credible documents from antiquity. One of the reasons it has so much credibility as an ancient document is that it has remained largely the same throughout history. So if you want to look at this from a, a purely scientific, hist- historical perspective, the Bible is trustworthy as a document. Okay, But here's the understand, the power is not in the book. If I had a physical Bible here and I tore it or I burned it, it doesn't offend or change or alter the power of it because the power is not in the written word. It's in where the word came from, who the word is, and how the word is alive and can work in our lives. It's why the, the, uh, when uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to a young leader that he was raising up and training, a guy called Timothy, and he was pastoring a church like this in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, he said in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, when he says God-breathed, what he means is, is from a biblical perspective, scripture is inspired by God. Yes, men may have wrote it, but they wrote it under the authoritative inspiration of God. It was, it was God's message worked through people at a specific time, for a specific purpose, but has eternal value for all time and for all purposes. Like, think about it. You're talking about 3,000 years of span. You're talking about 66 books, three different languages, over 50 different authors, and one singular, clear, coherent message. Let me tell you something. The Bible by itself is a complete literary historical miracle. Just the fact that it is, is a miracle. But Paul says, that's not the power. The power is in the God of the Bible. And he says the word, the scripture, the Bible, we call it, is useful for teaching. Rebuking means to correct, well, correct someone, correcting, training in righteousness to grow in our faith, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Sounds like a utensil. Sounds like a tool. The word, he says, is useful. It has relevance. It can help us. If you've been here any amount of time, you'll see that every single week as we ask questions about mental health and relationships and community and morality, all the questions that our society is asking, we every single week bring it back to God's Word. And what amazes me, being the one communicating, is every time I study it, every time I read it, every time I speak, it's like, man, this Word is so packed, full of wisdom. It's hard to believe these things written thousands of years ago but not only is the word of god useful it's helpful and not only is it helpful it's also hopeful we're told the word equips us to live like him and to live more for him because here's the thing that we believe jesus not only makes our lives better right like when you have faith 
When, you have, when you've got a relationship with God, all of you who have that, you can testify, you can affirm, you, you can verify that having Jesus in your life definitely makes your life more better than not having him, right? But not only does that happen, but Jesus also makes us better at life. He doesn't just help us, he helps us to be more like him. And let me ask this question, do you think, this is rhetorical, so answer your head, do you think the world will be better or worse if more people were more like Jesus? Like if people were more forgiving and more generous and more patient and more servant-hearted and more humble and more sacrificial, would that make our world better or worse? Well, of course, it would make our world better because the world is getting worse because it's the opposite. It's greedy. It's selfish. It's hateful. It's unforgiving. It's vindictive. It's destructive. And it's a dog-eat-dog, rat-race-all-the-cliché kind of world. And what we see is that when we take hold of God, when we allow Him into our lives, as we allow the secret sauce the, to be in communion, to be in connection with God, we not only become, Jesus not only makes our lives better, but we become like Him and so Jesus makes us better at life. And that's helpful, isn't it? Isn't it helpful to have kids that are more like Jesus? Isn't it helpful to have a spouse that is more like Jesus? Isn't it helpful to have government leaders who are not corrupt, but fulfill their vow to be a servant to the people? I mean, come on. At every level, every juncture, having people who are more like Jesus not only makes their lives better, but makes them better at life. God's word isn't some mystical, spooky, you know, kids' fairy tale thing to read before bed. God's word is, we're told in Hebrews 4, is living and it's active and it works and it gives us wisdom, and it gives us help, and it gives us hope. It's useful, it's, it tends to us. As theologian John Bart said, the Bible, our author John Bart says, the Bible is not man's word about God. That, that, that's, that's where we think, oh, this is just men, it's just a crutch, it's a system, it, 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 it's, a, it's a trap. No, no. God's word is his word about man. It's in and through God's word we discover who we are, how things are supposed to be. It's in and through God's word that we find wisdom and help and hope for everyday life. Listen, I don't read my Bible because I have to. I've been a Christ follower for 20 years. I don't read my Bible because of some sense of moral obligation. Even if I'm a pastor, it doesn't matter. I read my Bible because I want to. I found myself just a few days ago going through a very tough time. And I was like, I was thinking, what should I do? What should I do? And you know, I said, you know, I, I, had to find, I had to find God's word and find a place. I had to go and read. I had to pray. I had to worship. And even though on a service level that may seem completely ridiculous, how is that going to fix your scenario? The truth is it doesn't. But it invites God into it. And whatever needs fixing, let me tell you, he's got more power and more resource, and more experience, and more ability than we as finite means can ever have. So what we're saying in part two is simply this. If we're going to foster this relationship with God, we need tools, we need utensils. And God gives us worship, and prayer, and the word, as things that we can use to connect and grow in communication with him. And as we think about our day lives, like even to tomorrow morning, Monday morning, you're facing some things this week. Again, if you're a Leaving Cert student, you got your exams, if you're you know, going on holidays, wherever you are, Things are out there. Your day is coming. And the question is, is, do you want to invite God to be part of that day? Or do you want to keep going alone? Because here's what I know for a fact. God wants, he desires to be involved in your life. So here we close off with three things to consider. So three things I want you to consider then as we close off and pray. Number one, I want you to consider hearing from, God's, hearing from God daily through his word. So 
So God's words are God speaks to us. In His Word, God speaks to us. In His Word, God can speak to you. And again, even if you're not a Christian, God can still speak to you through His Word. Most of you know my story. I was not a Christ follower. I was not a Christian. But was one day opening God's Word, and I felt and sensed His voice, that I didn't even believe existed, by the way, speaking to my heart. And all of a sudden, this love that I didn't believe in, this love that is better life, filled my soul. And even though I didn't know what was happening, I had this innate sense of peace and purpose. And I knew that I knew that I knew, even though I was a skeptic, even though I was agnostic, even though I was critical, even though I was against the faith and against church. In that moment, I knew that what I was experiencing was the presence of God. I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to keep following this thing until it runs out. And to this day, it hasn't. God's love is that deep. And God's power is that strong. And God's purpose is that much fun that 20 years later, I'm still here doing this with you today. You can hear the voice of God for yourself every single day. All you got to do is open a Bible. And you you don't even need a physical book. We've encouraged you before, download the Bible app by version every single week. All the message notes are in the app. Just click on more events, find Isles Church. But you can find Bible reading plans, beginner ones, ones for marriage, ones for stress, ones for depression, ones for men, women, adolescents. There's all sorts of plans. And every single day, you can hear God's voice. Think of reading daily, not to know something, but to know someone. Think of it not like studying for an exam or growing in your knowledge, but think about as, as reading about someone. Think about as when you were first in love with your significant other and you would write cards back in the day. Anybody write cards? Or texts, you know, on your Nokia 3310. They're like, hey, so what's your favorite thing? What's your favorite color? What's your... And what do you do? You're just constantly communicating because the more you know, the more you love. It's not a test. It's a relationship. And we can, we can hear God's voice through his word and we can know him personally. Second thing I want you to consider is consider talking to God daily in prayer. I don't mean standing up, open up the window and shouting to the top of your lungs into your neighbor's back garden, Thus saith the Lord! You're brushing your teeth in the shower, in the car in traffic. You get into work and something hits you that's challenging. Go to the bathroom and just say, God, I need you now. I don't have any more words because <laughs> I don't know how to pray. But you hear the unspoken words of my heart. Why not invite God into your world daily to prayer? Think not of religious convocation, but think of a relational communication. God, I need you today for this exam, for this conversation, for this trial. I need you today. And thirdly, why not acknowledge God daily in worship? Why not in that prayer, in that reading, just say, God, I don't know a lot, but one thing I know is this. I'm not God and you are. And I need you. And I want you in my life. Think about this saying, that what you build it on, you maintain it on. What are you building your life on? What are you building your day on? What are you building your career on? What are you building your relationship on? Whatever foundation you put in, you've got to maintain. Why not make God the foundation of your life? Why not make God the foundation of your business? Why not make God the foundation of your day? By opening His Word, praying, 
and acknowledging Him. And my challenge or my invitation, those who are not Christians, is just give it a go. Like, give it a lash. Come on, you've done stupider things for a lot less, right? Come on, just give it a go for seven days. And if you really read God's Word, and if you really pray, and you really worship, and God does not show up, you're right. Well done. But what happens if when you read, and when you pray, and when you acknowledge a love that is better than life becomes real to you and gives you help and gives you hope and gives you a daily strength that you can't even articulate because it goes beyond human words. I want you to see the value of what we have, the secret sauce of the Christian life, a relationship with God. I'll finish with a story and then we're going to pray. Here's a photo of a famous cup. Anyone know what it is? Huh? Sam McGuire, no. Good guess. That's right. It's the Arda Chalice. Okay? This is one of the most precious treasures in Irish antiquity. It was forged by Irish monks in the 8th century uh, as a chalice. And it was hidden because of Viking excursions. So the Vikings were coming to steal stuff, so they'd bury stuff. And two young lads in 1868 while digging potatoes in a potato field outside Arda, County Limerick, came across this chalice. Now, at first, it didn't look all pretty like this all shiny. It had been in the ground for probably 800 years. It was mucky. It was old. They could have said, oh, an old cup. And what's, what value could this be? But, of course, something in them realized, no, this is, this is something. So they brought it home to their mother. The mother rang the bishop. She actually sold it to the bishop, which is quite funny. Well done. And, uh, and then, of course, it was realized just how valuable this chalice actually is. In fact, it's ranked as being as important in Irish history as the Book of Kells or many of our national treasures. But for 800 years, it lay buried in a potato field. Now, I know in Ireland we say potatoes are treasure, that's a bit much, you know what I'm saying? A bit much. But the point is this. I meet so many people who say, well, I'm not really a Christ follower, but you know, I believe in God. I, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a Christian, but I believe in something. Something's out there. And every Christmas and Easter, I say, you know, I'm a CEO Christian, Christmas and Easter only. You know, like that kind of thing. And they're like the two boys. Because they don't realize the value and the treasure of what's beneath their feet. That a relationship with God is more valuable than money. It's greater than all the Instagram followers in the world. It's more powerful than anything that any human being can create. It's faster than the fastest broadband. When we discover treasure, we, we value it, we celebrate it, we put it on display for the world to see. Let me tell you something. The greatest treasure in your life is never something you'll own, build, create. It's someone you'll know. His name is Jesus. I want to encourage you this week. Why not dig up that treasure? Why not dust off that Bible? Why not, why not bring out and show the world, hey, I have a faith in God. It gives me hope. It helps me. It makes my life better. It makes me better. Life. And I would love for you to share in this treasure. Amen. Let's stand and pray. We are so grateful that you could join us today. We really hope and pray that you were encouraged, that you 
feel blessed by this message and you know it would really help us if you could click the like button and also subscribe to our channel because we want to get this message across Ireland and the world and that would really really help us so please go and do that um, and also to let you know that you can watch and listen to previous messages and find out a whole bunch of stuff on our website Lighthouse Church and something else that's really cool, Jake. Tell us about something our else. Today. Yes, guys, we have a brand spanking new Lighthouse Church app. Yeah. So make sure to go download it on our website, or you can download it via the app stores. And there's a lot of cool things in there. You can rewatch previous messages, and there's also some downloadable content for you guys. So make sure to download the Lighthouse Church app. And there's also the Old Fashioned Bible on it. Bible is so important. So, and you know what? Even better than this experience today that we've had is church in person. It's just so good. We meet every Sunday morning in Navin and in Dublin. You can find out all the information on our website, uh, but it's at 11 a.m. every Sunday in person and we have the best time. So come join us. Uh, we would love to have you with us. So we'll see you next week for Lighthouse Church Online, 7 p.m. Yes. right here. And also don't forget to follow our social media handles, lighthousechurch.ie. So we'll see you next week, guys. Bye.